Welcome to Genesis. We are glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, welcome to Genesis and welcome to night one of Love and Glory, the series. And we are starting a three-night sermon series entitled Love and Glory, which is based upon a book that I have written of the same title, uh, which is exciting, and that comes out on March 21st. So mark your calendars for that. That's about two weeks from now. Uh, we've also had this series planned since about January, and uh, over the amount of time since then, I've had a lot of different thoughts about this series, and a lot of different ideas, and a lot of things have crossed my mind. And so uh, the first thing that, that I wanted to say was that I am extremely grateful for the opportunity that I have tonight to, to speak to you out of a book that I wrote. Uh, I don't take that lightly. I think that is uh, incredible. I'm also extremely grateful for the opportunity to promote a personal book from the platform that God has entrusted me with. And I'm also extremely grateful for uh, the, the support of the Genesis team and of you guys in this endeavor. And so with that said, I am sure there are maybe some of you who may think it is a little odd for me to be promoting a personal project in this context. And so I'd be thinking the same thing if I was in your seat. And so for those of you who are thinking that tonight, and for really all of us, I want to give you two reasons why I stand up here confident in what's taking place tonight. And so the first reason is because Love and Glory was written with many of you on my mind and in my heart, that if it was not for the people of Genesis, Love and Glory would never have happened. That I wrote it, uh, and it is a summation of the experiences that I've had here at Genesis, and it is a, a, uh, a total of, I believe, many of the questions that young adults are asking. And so, if it were not for the experiences that I've had here at Genesis, this would not have been possible. And, uh, and I don't believe that it's completely catered towards young adults, but it does appeal to young adults the best. And so you guys are why I wrote it. So thank you for that. The second reason is because uh, even though I am preaching out of a, a book written by man tonight, I will be preaching no less from the word of God than I would otherwise. And so the star of the show tonight will be nobody other than Jesus Christ. All right. So let me pray really quick and we will rock and roll, all right? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this chance that we get to come here tonight and, uh, and spend time in your word, uh, praise you, worship you. And God, we know that uh, we have a special opportunity tonight to learn about you and have an experience with you. And so God, with that said, I pray that your voice would be louder than my own tonight. And God, that you would take control and that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in Genesis as it is in heaven. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what your purpose was on earth? Have you ever wondered what your purpose was on earth? Why you were created? Why God, why God puts you on this planet? Have you ever wondered what your purpose was? And I'm sure that you have because everybody has asked that question at least once in their life, right? Everybody's asked that question at least once. And all of us are trying to figure that out. And the truth is, is that we need an answer to that question that is gonna suffice through all seasons of life, right? So we go through seasons of life that are good. We go through seasons of life that are bad, maybe seasons of life that are frustrating or confusing, or maybe we go through seasons of life that are very fruitful. But we need an answer to that question that is gonna last through all of those seasons. And so we need an answer that, we're, that we don't need to redefine. We, we don't need an answer that we're gonna to have to rediscover or recommit to. That we need a strong and steady answer to that question. But oftentimes, it feels like that purpose is unable to be found. And so over the course of this series, I want to show you that your purpose is not lost, that it's only 
misplaced. And there is a massive difference between the two. There is a massive difference between, between something being lost and something being misplaced. And you know this because have you ever been able to not find the TV remote? Okay, so we, you know, I do this all the time. Like I'm laying in bed, I lose, lose the remote. I'm sitting on the couch, I lose the remote. And I look everywhere for it. And then eventually I find it, right? It was not lost. It was just misplaced. I just kept looking in all the wrong places, right? Okay, so on the contrary to that, uh, a couple years ago, my computer crashed and I had years of like, years of writing, years of pictures and memories. And when my computer crashed, I lost all of it. And so those were like irreplaceable files that are gone. And no matter how hard I try, they're never going to come back. And so a lot of times our purpose in life and the reason why God created us, it feels a lot like those files, those computer files, right? But I wanna tell you tonight that maybe they're a lot more like the TV remote. Maybe we're just looking in the wrong places. Maybe it's not just lost, maybe it's misplaced. And so uh, tonight we're gonna begin this conversation by discussing three of those wrong places that we look to trying to find our purpose. And then we're gonna look to a story from scripture for a solution to that. So if you are taking notes, we are gonna have three different wrong places we look to to find purpose. And so the first one is culture. So the first place that we look to, the wrong place we look to to find purpose is culture. And we are all too familiar with the term American dream, right? We're all too familiar with the term American dream. And it's this never ending chase for something that seems unattainable and we can sum it all into one word, success. We're all chasing success. The nine to five work day, the suit and tie, the suburban house, the white picket fence, the well-groomed dog, the 2.5 kids, the, the BMW, the green grass. That's what we're all chasing, right? Success. It's the quintessential picture of American success. The belief that if you work hard and make good money we'll, and, 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 and we'll create a comfortable life for ourselves, and then all the while, We'll try to make sure that we're being a good person, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll do all these, these, uh, these good deeds here and there to try to make ourselves feel better about ourselves so our conscience doesn't eat us away because we're chasing the dream of a comfortable life. For those of you in college, you, you've seen this firsthand. You sit in classrooms. I've been there too. You sit in classrooms just so you can uh, study for hours on material that you've been given so you can take a test to one day get a piece of paper that's gonna give you but a glimpse of the life that you wanna have. And so we're all chasing success. But what if I told you that the world offered you nothing but empty promises? And what if I told you that the world advertised fulfillment but delivered disappointment? And what if all those promises that seem so attractive will one day be discovered to be deceiving? This idea of having the biggest and the baddest and the newest is something that's always put right before our eyes, right? So we, we oftentimes will see things and we'll think, man, if I only had that, if I only had that, I might be able to be taken seriously. If I only had that, I might be able to impress that group of people. If I only had that, I would never need anything ever again. If I only had that, I would be complete. And it's that feeling that we get when we see the, the friend get the new iPhone or, or the new car or the new big screen TV. You guys know what I'm talking about. That we think we need it too in order to be taken seriously. Or we begin to, to equate those things with material status or material success. And so our desire for those things starts to grow and it's doing nothing but getting worse. And we know this because Craigslist and eBay 
are 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 uh, are very very well off in what they do, and they they specialize in taking things from someone's garage and then just giving it to you so you can also put it in your garage, right? So I, I say that all the time, like when, when my mom or, or somebody will, uh, not jokingly, of course, but when they give me something, I'm like, oh, cool, from your closet to mine, right? So like, I'm not gonna do anything with this, right? So Craigslist and eBay, that's how it is. They, they take things from, from, from some garage to your garage, and we see infomercials all the time, right? So they, they are always on TV. Advertisements are everywhere we go because people are gonna keep buying and buying and buying hoping that one day they find exactly why they're here to try to increase their level of success or increase their level of prosperity until they run out of room. But do they stop buying when they run out of room? No, they rent a storage unit. And we know this all too well. Living in Charleston, you drive around, you see those things everywhere, right? Everywhere, you see a new thing getting built and you're like, oh, cool, restaurant or something awesome that I can go to with my friends. Nope, storage unit. Why? It's like mattress firms. You know, you get excited about a building and then it's like, oh, it's a mattress firm. Awesome. Something I'll buy every 20 years. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a storage unit. Like, who cares, right? So did you know that if you were to sum all rentable storage space in America, it amounts to two and a half billion square feet. That's three times the size of Manhattan. That is a lot, right? The extra storage industry is exploding right now And there's one reason. People just love stuff. People just love stuff. And here's the problem. Our life's purpose is one thing we can't purchase. Our life's purchase is one thing we can't purchase. We can't stream it on Netflix. We can't uh, click on it and wait for it to load. We can't order it on Amazon. We can't purchase it. And the problem is that our flesh has this default setting, right? We, We have this default setting, our flesh does one that's easily enticed by by the temptations of prosperity or the temptations of achievement or the temptations of comfort. What culture pushes is music to our heart's ears. What culture pushes is music to our heart's ears and our shoulders are tired from carrying the burden of making it. We all wanna make it. That's the target on the wall, right? 50 years from now, we we wanna turn around, we wanna look around at our life and say, man, I made it. Look at this this life that I've built for myself. But I want to take the pressure off of you a little bit tonight. That you making it in life is not going to solve all your problems. It's not going to solve all your problems. No status, no promotion, no amount of money, no degree is going to solve the riddle that is your life. It's not going to do the job. And so let me say this. There There is nothing inherently wrong with trying to succeed. There's nothing wrong with working hard and trying to succeed in life, but the pit of the American dream is an easy pit to fall into. And the danger lies in the moment that your desire for success starts to be worshiped. And the danger lies in the moment that your, that your pursuit of stuff starts to outweigh your pursuit of God. It's the danger when you start to worship your desire for success and your purpose on earth is much, much more than trying to make a six-figure salary and retire well and move to Florida and play golf. It's much more than that. You were put on on earth for so much more than that. And more people are starting to realize it. There was actually a a recent secular study, okay, so this was done 
I'm sure there was a good amount of people in the study that may not have known Christ. They, over half of those people said that uh, they associated success with good relationships and achieving personal goals. And 90% said that it was more about happiness than power, prestige, or possessions. I'm not going to say your purpose is happiness either. But these are people who may not even know Christ finding the American dream to be empty, to be not all that it was advertised, right? Because we said it advertises fulfillment, but it delivers disappointment. So if it's empty, then why is it displayed as so full? It's because culture is nothing but a problem disguised as a solution. The American dream, this idea of making it is nothing but a problem disguised as a solution. It's not going to fix your life. It's not going to be the answer of why you were created. The second wrong place we look to for purpose is social media. Social media. When I was younger, the, uh, there was only one social media platform. It was MySpace. It was MySpace. You got your MySpace and, you, you, you know, it was great. And uh, you got to pick your song, like, for your profile. And you could, like, get, like, this, this, uh, this crash course in coding. You know, like, you could just, like, copy something and paste it over and feel like you're hacking into something, you know. I don't know. Like you see on movies. So MySpace was, was huge back in the day, right? And so uh, now, you know, we have Facebook. That MySpace died. And so here came Facebook. And that was followed by a lot of other ones, right? And we know this, like Twitter and, and Snapchat and Instagram, et cetera. You know, the growth of social media in the last 10 years has been huge. And according to research, Roughly seven out of 10 Americans use social media. So that's 70% of Americans are on social media. So to put that in perspective for you, seven out of 10 Americans also have another habit, brushing their teeth twice a day. 70% is a lot of people. 70% is a lot of people, right? So this is the first generation in history that's gonna have to learn how to have an online presence. And we're also gonna be the first they're gonna have to teach our kids one day as well. And I was thinking the other day, if you follow me on Twitter, you know this. I was thinking the other day, what will be the cigarettes of our, of our generation? Like, you know, we, we, we look back now and we think, what were they thinking? Why were they smoking so much? We know so much more now that they didn't know then. Why didn't they know it was so bad for them? But I wonder 50 years from now, when people look back at our generation, what are they going to say about us? What were they thinking? Is it going to be smartphones? Is it going to be social media? I don't know. What will it be for us? And, and, and the thing is, is that nobody has any clue what the long-term effects of social media are. Nobody has any clue. And the reason is because it hasn't been around long enough. There are no 70-year-olds out there in nursing homes. There's no 70-year-olds over here in the Blake next door who have, been on, who have been on Facebook since they were 14. We just don't have them yet. And so nobody knows what the long-term effects are. And so... In the age range of this ministry, so the 18 to 29 demographic, okay, so remember we just talked about 7 out of 10 Americans, so Americans in general. Well, in this age range, uh, the, the percentage of those on social media is close to 90%. So 9 out of 10, 18 to 29-year-olds are on social media. And so as social media has grown, especially in this demographic, the danger of comparison has grown with it. And so I've wondered if you've ever, if you've ever heard these statements before. Can you believe how many likes she gets on her pictures? Can you believe that she has more followers than I do? Can you believe he unfollowed me like I thought we were friends? You guys know what I'm talking about. You hear these things all the time. And in the minds of many people, their entire self-worth gets boiled down to likes and views and retweets and followers. 
And just as it is with money and status and possessions, no amount is ever going to be enough. No amount is ever going to be enough. And the deception of this curated lifestyle is one that can truly consume your life. And so, I mean, have you ever looked at someone's Instagram and think, my life would never measure up to theirs? My life is never going to be as cool as theirs. Maybe people are out there saying that about you. Man, my life would never be as cool as theirs. Their life seems so cool. I know I'm always trying to get better at not succumbing to this lure of social media. I did a social media fast a couple years ago, and this was when my, when my eyes first opened to the fact that I had a problem, right? So uh, to avoid the temptation, I deleted the apps off my phone, and during the fast, I would actually unlock the phone and tap on the empty spots where the, where the app used to be. And it's like, man, I really have a problem. And that was when I first realized, like, this, is, this isn't very good for me. And so I've tried to get better at that. And now I've realized that whenever there's a void in whatever I'm doing, I have to fill it by checking my phone. Like if I'm watching TV and it goes to a commercial, uh, I'm going to check my phone. Or I'm driving and I get stopped at a red light, uh, I'm going to check my phone. Maybe you're the same way. I don't know. That's a problem I'm working on. And it's the same way for many people, right? So we, we search deep throughout this online world trying to find our purpose. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. It's not there. It's not there. And the promises of social media are as empty as the ones of status and wealth. They advertise fulfillment, but they deliver disappointment. And just as I said before, the, the use of social media is not inherently wrong. It's not It's not wrong. It can be used very positively, but it's crucial that we take the online world with a grain of salt, with a grain of salt. And it's crucial that we keep in mind that the world of social media is a manufactured one, in which you don't see someone's life completely. You just see a small, polished piece. So our purpose, not found on social media. And I'm going to give you the third one. The third wrong place we look to for purpose is our personal brand. It's our personal brand. When I was in college, I had, a, I had a professor who used to always say, the biggest thing you market is yourself. The biggest thing you market is yourself. And that's absolutely true. That's an incredible life lesson, right? So you, you've, you decide on what image or, or what, uh, what you want to display to the world, and then your decisions follow that, right? So anything you do adds or takes away from your reputation. The biggest thing you market is yourself. That is absolutely true. That is a great life lesson. But... The pit of self-promotion can often come back to bite us. And it's something that we all want, right? There's nothing, like I said, with just the other two things, there's nothing inherently wrong with with this. But it's when we start to worship it that that it becomes a problem. And so when it's not prioritized properly, building this personal brand can take over your life. And so this might include your social media following, or it might include your hobbies, or your job, or your wardrobe, what you wear, maybe your taste in entertainment, or your hobbies. So you total all of those together, and you create the image that you want to give to people. So for example, one day, you may want to increase your, your personal brand as a businessman or a businesswoman. And so you're going to wear more suits and you're going to get nicer shoes and you're going to beef up your resume. You're going to move to this big city and you're going to network like crazy and you're going to climb the corporate ladder because that's your personal brand. That's what you do. Or maybe your personal brand is, I don't know, some kind of hip millennial. And so you're going to wear more flannel and go work at Starbucks and listen to only weird obscure bands and only watch indie movies, you know? 
Or maybe you want to increase your, your personal brand as someone who's really into fitness. And so you're going to wear more Nike and gym shorts. And you're going to post photos on Facebook like before, after. I go to CrossFit, right? And you'll listen to Spotify pl- uh, playlists so your friends can see that you're, that you're working out or you're listening to the workout playlist on Spotify. And so, so people would ask you, why? Why do you do that? And you would say, well, that's... Well, that's just who I am. And that's where the danger is. And there lies the danger. It's when your personal brand becomes your entire identity that it becomes a concern. And the reason is because the strength of your personal brand seems to often equate to the value that you believe you offer. And so with that, your personal brand is really shaky ground to be standing on. Because one day the fads are going to fade and the fitness is going to go away and success is fleeting. And so when all those things go away, when they strip away everything you're known for, who are you then? And so with that said, I would encourage you to, instead of pursuing personal brand, I would encourage you to pursue personal character. That the, 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 the character traits of integrity and kindness and generosity and self-control, those are going to long outlast trends and image. So the last place, the last wrong place we look to for purpose is our personal brand. And so with all that said, the, the appeal of success and social media and, and personal brand are nothing but sparks we think will start a flame. That they're, they're bright, they're quick, and they're hopeful, but they burn out. The only fulfillment we're going to find in those places is temporary. They give us short-term satisfaction when we know deep down that we want long-term fulfillment. They were not designed to last. And I'm thankful that the word of God is not silent on this topic. That there is a longing of fulfillment in us that can be relieved by nothing but Christ. That we have a God-sized vacuum in our soul that was only meant for God. And that is nothing new. That is nothing new. And so we see that in the word of God. And so if you would, I would love for you to go ahead and turn to Luke 15. And we're gonna, we're gonna dissect a story in Luke 15 that I believe is gonna clearly illustrate how the things of this world just don't do the job. And so while you're turning there, uh, I'm gonna get you up to speed. So by the time we get to Luke 15, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry and he's doing the three Ps, as I've said before. He's been preaching, prophesying, and performing miracles. And so at this point in Luke 15, he's preaching in parables. And starting in verse 11, we see a very famous one, and it's the parable of the prodigal son. So this is uh, starting in Luke 15. We're gonna go bit by bit through this. And so this is uh, Luke 15, 11 through 12. Does everybody, everybody have it? Cool. All right, here we go. And he said, he is Jesus. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So, in this story, in this story, we are introduced to a wealthy father, right, who has two sons. And the younger son approaches the father with a question. And he gathers up to the, the gall to ask his father, look, dad, look, we both know that you have a lot of money. We both know that you have a lot of money, which means you're going to set me up pretty nicely when you die. But unfortunately for me, it seems like that day is not coming anytime soon. So I was wondering, could I have my inheritance now? And let's be honest, that is uh, probably one of the most disrespectful things you could ever ask somebody, especially 
your dad, right? Hey, dad, you know, I really love your money, uh, and I definitely love it more than you. Uh, and I, so I wish you'd hurry up and kick the bucket so I could get my share of it. But since you're not dead yet, and since I see that that's not coming anytime soon, can I go ahead and pretend like you are? That's essentially what he's asking. So before we move on, and before we go too hard on the younger son, I think it's important to, to mention that we as Christians often have this attitude. And what I mean by that is that we often want the, the benefits of faith in Christ and none of the sacrifice. That we want the benefits of faith in Christ and none of the sacrifice. We want to look good on Sunday. We want to stand for good moral uprightness. And we surely want the eternal life. We surely don't want to go to hell. But at the end of the day, we're not willing to lay down our life. And we're not willing to take up our cross. The younger son wanted his money right then and there, but didn't want to wait until the time was right. He didn't want to sacrifice his own selfish desires. He just wanted the benefits of being the son of a wealthy man. And so in here tonight, if, if you can find yourself in those shoes, that oftentimes we, we love the benefits of Christ, but we don't want to obey or sacrifice. We don't want to take up our cross. We don't want to daily follow after Christ. We just want the eternal life. We just want the title. We just want the name of Christian. And so with that said, it is better to be an obedient son or an obedient daughter than it is merely to be a beneficial one. Let's keep reading. This is Luke 15, 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So uh, we see here that the son asks his question and the father generously agrees. And so with his newfound wealth, the son heads off into what scripture refers to as the far country. And so it seems what happens in the far country stays in the far country. He began to live a, a lavish lifestyle, one that culture would encourage that he was living the dream, right? He was out there taking selfies and getting a ton of likes and retweets and he's broadcasting his new exciting life. And he was walking around with a money clip and dark sunglasses that he probably wore inside. You ever notice celebrities do that? I don't know why they do that. But that's probably what he was doing, right? So he's inside with his sunglasses. He's too cool for school. He's driving the new Porsche and he's probably throwing money in the air like he's in a rap video. His personal brand has reached new heights. He was a nobody now he's a somebody. But just as we know, what goes up must come down. And what did we learn earlier? When we look for purpose in the wrong places, we are always left empty. Let's keep reading. This is 14 through 16. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So we see, unfortunately, that things went downhill quickly for the son uh, or his money soon ran out. And to make matters worse, the far country ran out of food as a great famine started, a famine broke out. And so now not only is the son broke, but he's now hungry as well, which we know that's a pretty bad combination. So 
And uh, so eventually he says that, uh, it says that the son finds a job working for a citizen of the far country and the citizen puts him in charge of feeding his pigs. And the irony here to me is that, that he would now spend his days feeding pigs though he could not feed himself. And it says that he got to the point where even the slop that he was feeding the pigs looked appetizing. And maybe you know this feeling. If you've ever went to the grocery store hungry, you know how this can be, right? Even the grossest stuff, things you'd never eat in a million years, all of a sudden start to look good. Dog food, Brussels sprouts, fill in the blank. Those things you'd never eat in a million years, all of a sudden start to look good because you're hungry. And so that's where he's at at, the, at this point. And so uh, at this point in the story, we see that his, his short-sighted desires had led him to a very low place. And so let's keep reading in uh, verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have uh, more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So it's in this, it's in this pig pen where the son's eyes get opened. That he realizes that even the servants back at home with dad have it better than him at this point. And he realizes that he, had done, he has done his father wrong. And so he plans this apologetic speech, one that's going to ask for forgiveness and ask for a spot back at his dad's house. But this time, not as a son, but as a servant. And so let's read and see how the story ends in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So the son picks himself up. And he begins his journey home. And we see that as soon as he is in eyesight of his father, the father takes off running towards him. And when the son thought he was going to get met with ridicule and punishment and condemnation, he was actually met with his father's joy of his return home. And the father immediately calls for celebration. He said, my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. He didn't care that the money was gone. He cared that his son was back. And it was truly a homecoming for the ages. This story is a a clear picture of how the things of this world can blind us. The son got what he asked for. He got the wealth, but he soon learned that it was not all he expected it to be. He thought it was going to be fulfilling, but it delivered disappointment. And when he finds himself empty, I love what he does. When he finds himself empty, he returns back to where he knows he can be filled, his father's house. I used to have a nice line that I would use on my wife when we were dating. I would say, and I've I've shared this before, so you may remember this. I used to say, hey, I don't know how I'd start it. (laughs) I'd say, hey, I would rather eat cereal with you than eat steak alone. You can put it on a Hallmark card. You can use it on your significant other. I won't, I won't come knocking for royalties, I promise. 
I say I used to, you know, I used to say that. Hey, I'd love to eat cereal with you than, than eat steak alone. What does that mean? It means I'd rather eat a, a quick, cheap meal with her than eat a really nice, expensive meal without her. And so with this story, I think the son figured out, man, I think I'd rather eat cereal with dad than, than be out here and, and be eating steak, but not for long. Dad's got cereal forever. You know what I mean? Like he realized where his priorities are. He's like, I'd rather eat cereal with dad than eat, than eat steak without him, but not for that long. And so for me, when I read this story, I think, man, I would rather eat cereal with God than eat steak without him. That I'd rather fail with God than succeed without God. That I'd rather live in the valley with God than live on the top of the mountain without him. I'd rather live as a servant in my father's house than live as a king in the world. Why? Because one is temporary. The other is forever. One is temporary and the other is forever. And we can all find ourselves in the story of the prodigal son. We can all identify with, with, with him. Just, just snatching what the world offers without second thought to what God wants for us or what God believes we should do. Snatching what the world offers and taking off with it. But let me tell you, a, let me tell you some good news tonight. Let me tell you some good news. It says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That while we are still sinners, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, die a criminal's death, a death that you and I deserved, and then resurrect again to make a way of salvation for us. That while we were still out there in the far country, being, being, being tricked by the mirages of the American dream, of success, of social media, of prosperity, of personal brand, while we were still out in that far country, God sent Jesus to make a way for us. That while we were still dead in our sin, Jesus went to the cross and bared the weight of sin of all humanity so that we are not clothed in the, in the righteousness of the Son so that when the Father sees us, he doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our past. He doesn't see all the times that we put those things above him. No, instead he sees the blood of his Son. He sees righteousness so that now we could be in relationship with him so that when, when our eyes are opened in the pig pens of our life, when we've hit rock bottom and we're hungry and we're broke and we're broken and we're struggling and we're frustrated, we can get up and we can return home knowing we're not gonna get met with ridicule or punishment or condemnation, but instead get met with open arms by the Father, arms of love and grace and mercy. That is the gospel, guys. When our eyes get opened in the pig pens of our lives, we know we can return home to where we can be filled because this world has been making us empty for way too long. It's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. Let me ask you something tonight. Have you ever been looking for purpose in the wrong place? Have you been looking for purpose in the wrong places in your life? Have you been blinded by what the world offers you? Do you find yourself tonight in the far country? Are you in the pig pen of your life tonight? Tonight is an opportunity for you to make your return home. Tonight is the, the, the time of listening to the world can be over for you. Tonight, the, the, the time of looking for fulfillment outside of Christ can be over for you. Tonight, the, the time of acting like you've got it all together 
can be over for you. This is your opportunity to come home. And the moment you do, the moment you do, the Father's not gonna condemn you or punish you or ridicule you. He's gonna welcome you home with open arms of love, mercy, and grace. As the band plays, I would encourage you to respond in your own way tonight, whether that be through worship, maybe you gotta stand, maybe you gotta raise your hands, maybe you need to find somebody to pray with. Whatever it looks like for you tonight, whoever it is in here that may be struggling with this, who may be blinded by, by, by the world and by what it offers you, know that there's hope. And know that Jesus made a way for you so that when you find yourself in this place, in the pig pen, in the far country, you can pick up and you can return home to your father's house. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for the story of the prodigal son. God, it was a parable, but man, it speaks so true to us. God, we thank you for the amazing grace that you gave us, God, through the cross. God, we thank you that while we were still sinners, while we were still in the far country, while we were still in the pig pen, God, you made a way for us. So when we pick up and we return home, you're gonna meet us with grace, with mercy, with open arms. So God, I pray for whoever it is in here tonight that may be dealing with, with whatever it is, God. Maybe they're tired of acting like they have it all together. Maybe they've been blinded by what the world gives them. God, whatever it may be, I pray they would stop looking in the wrong places for purpose and instead look to you for the fulfillment that they've desired. God, I thank you for the people in this room, God. And I pray that you'd have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.